Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You are very welcome along to the show. Second captain's here at the Irish Times. We're just trying to get our heads around an internet poll we came across in the last few minutes. So forgive us if we, feel, if we seem a little bit distracted. It's just there are so many amazing questions and amazing answers on this poll. Ken, take it away. Well, are you looking forward to the Winter Olympics, Owen? What, what are my options? Sochi 2014 Olympics. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's I will, a, I will, much I will, a yes or no question, I suppose. Really, well, Sochi2014.com. Uh, has a poll which asks that very question. Are you looking forward to the Olympic Games? Okay, pretty straightforward. Option one. Yes, I've been waiting since the victory in Guatemala. <laughs> I can't believe there is so little time. <laughs> uh, option two. I'm really looking forward to them. The Games are a great event, not only for our country, but for the whole world. <laughs> option three. I'm looking forward to them because I enjoy sport and follow every Olympics. Option four. Mm, I'm looking forward to them because here. I hope for great results from our athletes. Option five, other. <laughs> so, you don't have any choice in the matter. You're enjoying these games. No, option six. I'm somewhat dreading. The I'm going to vote. Actually, p- political I'm, I'm voting around the world. Other. I'm, I'm voting. I'm really looking forward to them. The games are a great event, not only for our country but for the whole yeah. world. I mean, I'm not actually from the country in question. So let's see if they. Yes. Oh well. Okay. So the results are in. Okay. Fourteen percent option one. Yes, I've been waiting since Guatemala. Thirty-four percent. The one I chose. I'm really looking forward to them. It's great for our country and the world. 24%, I'm looking forward to my enjoy sport and follower. 17%, I hope for great results from our athletes. And 22% say other. Mm, a lot of that dissension. sounds like more than 100%, no? <laughs> <laughs> that, that just sounds like a lot of percentages there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. All right, if you caught our super happy dream job episode on Tuesday, you'll have heard the chat we had with Bernard Jackman, who's coaching with great success at Grenoble in France's top 14. He was discussing the challenges posed by dealing with players of a different rugby culture. And he revealed that he himself was the butt of endless slagging at the club for his hilarious habit, the French just find this so funny, of planning his tactics from really early on in the week. Mm. Jackman's in there with his laptop, with his iPad, with all these little gadgets, looking through the videos, mm. working out, you know, I don't know, how do you break down the, uh, 
opponents attack the following weekend and the French guy's like, don't worry about it, we're, we're, we're playing at home, we'll get revved up emotionally and we'll win the match. It's no big deal. Yeah, I kind of, how it works over yeah, I kind of intend playing, you know, a lot of pool kind of Monday through Wednesday night. That's, that's my pool time. I work on my pool game then. Well, Talk to me on Thursday. If you think we're going to watch one on. of your boring videos, Jackman, it's <laughs> just not going to happen. It's not the French way to do that. No, going, it's, it clearly isn't the way Bernard described it. Going into battle, you know. That's uh, calculation, you know, to, to be there bent over uh, your slide rule and your abacus and your, your compass and all your other geometrical devices. That's not how the French plan their campaigns. I mean, read Victor Hugo and uh, Waterloo is an engagement of the first rate. Won by a captain of the second. That was uh, Wellington, the Iron Duke, the man of <laughs> mathematics, uh, a, a man of science, a cribbed man, uh, never to be seen without clutching his, you know, his tables, his logarithmic, uh, you know, index. Mm. Uh, whereas Napoleon, uh, great clothes, wonderful hat, instinctive genius, la gloire. That's what uh, generalship is about at the highest level in in France. You know, if you're if you're going to actually think seriously and analytically about your opponent's strengths and weaknesses and how to counter them, you're effectively admitting you're not as good as them. Yeah. If you're you not, were better than them, you wouldn't have to worry about them. you just go and, you know, and destroy them. You're not banging on about lucky generals if you've the work done. You know, if you're Bernard Jackman, you're not saying, give me a lucky general because I've my work done, don't I? Yeah. You know? That was so it. No, the lucky, lucky generals, that, that is Napoleon. You know, he, yeah, he's exactly. like, I just, I just give me a guy who's lucky. I don't care about competence. I certainly don't care about preparation. <laughs> is the guy lucky? It's all I want to know. Jackman's former team, Leinster, go away to cast this weekend in the Heineken Cup. And cast are one of these French clubs with a ridiculous home record, possibly buoyed by that idea that it's, it's easier to get that emotional pitch ready for battle when you're playing at home. And they're doing so against Leinster this weekend. But we're going to focus more specifically on the decision that out half that needs to be made by the, the uh, Leinster coach, Matt O'Connor. Uh, and also a similar decision for Rob Penny. Munster against Gloucester, it seems like the number 10 uh, shirt is up for grabs in both provinces. Shane Horgan and Neil Francis on that and what makes a great out half a little bit later on. And it's playoffs, NFL playoffs, with US Murph, his San Francisco 49ers, still in contention after a win in Green Bay. After that match, Murph, a couple of players I saw I interviewed, one of them being Colin Kaepernick, the quarterback, were asked, well, firstly, they were very cold mm. and they made cl- quite clear, I think, before the interview started, the reporter started by saying, Colin Kaepernick has just asked to get this the hell over with so that we can go back and get out of colder. Uh, but I, they, I, they said, okay, your next match, Carolina Panthers, you're, you're, you're away against those guys. You know, tough crowd. Cam Newton, great quarterback, all this kind of stuff. And he's, and both Kaepernick and I can't remember the name of the other player said, yeah. Navarro they, Bowman. They came to our house and took victory Payback time. Yeah, <laughs> I just love the almost wrestling style, yeah. fresh wrestling like, style it, build up to these games. It's almost as if someone said in the rear, "Listen, we're probably going to have to, you know, shoot a good few promos about this game during the week. So if you could say something now that we could definitely stick into a promo that we've run all week, <laughs> heck, that'd be yeah. You're not going to be available awesome. for too many interviews later on. Yeah, so let's get yeah, it, get the sound bites enough. in now. Do you remember there was a, uh, a post match interview with Brian O'Driscoll once after a game in New Zealand? where he literally couldn't yeah. talk because his teeth were chattering so much. That was basically what was happening with uh, Navarro Bowman, who's one of the defensive uh, players for the, the 49ers. Neil Francis and Shane Horgan join us now. Uh, lads, just to get into the meat of this out-half uh, issue, I suppose the Ronald Garrett documentary something that has put into our heads also uh, that revealed a very driven, intense individual. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it now. It was on RTE a week or so ago. Also, though, a guy who <laughs> came across a little bit paranoid and maybe even neurotic at times. Is there a particular mindset that an out-half in a, in a rugby team needs to have? 
I'm not sure if uh, generalities always apply. I think a lot of the stuff that you saw, Ronan's, he's a unique individual. He's also intriguing, but there's also a lot of the common traits that I think you'd see in a lot of uh, sports people or in, in rugby people, you know. And uh, having to, to address the, those sort of weird, uncomfortable feelings that you have when um, there's somebody coming up behind you and, and eventually takes your position. You know, that they're very sometimes difficult to deal with and, and you, you're not sure how you should feel and I think that was a great thing about the documentary you got an insight into into the mind of a player when he was going through that uh, period of his career now for many players it happens earlier but this happened to a guy who had almost only experienced success the whole way through his career and it wasn't until his, his mid-30s until he had to address some of these issues so I think you know yes Ronan is very very unique and uh, he has uh, and there is something about playing t- 10 um, at a high level but also I think there was common threads through sports people in general I think and that's I think that's why a lot of people could relate to it in some ways Neil what do you think about the out half position in your dealings with number 10s do they think about things a little bit differently Yeah I think it's a, it's a nailed on certainty that you have to have kind of paranoid schizophrenia and, and uh, the whole range of neuroses to uh, to, to, to uh, deal with that position they, they are they're I'm, I'm trying to think of, of some of the guys that I played with. I think Eric Elwood was was uh, was one of the guys there, and he was certainly a perfectionist. And no matter what you did, um, you know, on whatever ball you gave him, or the guys inside him or outside him, he was just never happy. And he was the grumpiest guy in the field I've ever come across, and uh, just very. So a lot of time, people just ignored him because uh, you know he he was uh, he was difficult to deal with on the pitch and. Uh, I wouldn't call you know a lot of these guys prima donnas, but certainly uh, in the position that they're in, they they you know to control a game, you certainly need to be everything to go perfectly, and they don't have to um, they don't have to uh, you know deal with uh, you know sort of things that are sort of outside them, and it, it's uh, I found it uh, you know difficult to deal with them on and off the pitch. They, yeah, they also probably have to believe Shane that they're the most important player on the team but particularly nowadays an out half mightn't even be certain if he's a number one out half we see this situation in Leinster with Ian Madigan and Jimmy Gobberth ideally do you want and it's maybe similar in Munster we can talk about them as well but do you do you want two competing out halves is that the done thing now or in an ideal world would you want one of your out halves to be the dominant player the dominant figure at the club I think it depends on um, it depends on the player it depends on uh, how they feel how they react to competition um it is difficult, though, with a ten position in particular, because uh, there is ego involved in it, and there is an element of the coach hanging uh, their hat on the ten and saying, "You're the guy to implement our game plan, and our trust is in you." Now, if week to week that's changing, that can be difficult. Um, if there's a genuine rotation because two players are, you know, very evenly matched. Um, you know, there there may be a, there may be something in that, but I, I would prefer if, if it was my club, I prefer a ten, a you know, top class ten who was my guy, who was my go to guy, and then a strong backup. And I don't think we have that position um, either in in Munster and Leinster at the moment. There is still uncertainty as to who the who the number one ten is, um, and that you know that can that can prove difficult. I, for example, when I was playing, I, I never. You know, people say that it's great to have competition. I always felt as if I played better, was more comfortable when I was very certain of my um, my game. And I think 
some degree tens are like that as well because they want to be able to try things they want to be able to express themselves and they want to be able to make mistakes and it's important for, ten, for tens to be able to make mistakes without you know thinking that that sort of Damocles of, of being dropped is hanging over them um, for on every decision that they make on the field Is the issue at Leinster Neil that Ian Madigan maybe was primed to become that dominant number 10 but well, A Jimmy Goppert has come in and been quite good uh, very good actually at times and B maybe Madigan hasn't responded to the challenge as well as would have been expected Yeah well, I think people are making comparisons to what he did last season and um, one of the excellent things that you know are the you know the thing he, he was very good at he scored I think he scored about nine tries last season and um, that was that, that was what had people talking and now there's a greater focus on what he's doing and what he's not doing. And the question you have to ask him, is, does he have an all-round game? Uh, I think he's still kind of maturing. Uh, so, you know, what, if you make a sort of a, you know, analysis of, of they haven't picked the team yet uh, to play cast, and it's, it's, it's a signature game, this, this game will define Leinster's season because if they lose, I think they're out. And... The key to the game is, is who they pick at out half, and it also, you know, they have to find out what type of game they want to play. If if they play uh, a conservative game in cast, they're going to lose. You know, they have to embrace risk in this game. They have to, if they go and try and defend their way to victory and try and kick their way to victory, I think they'll lose. And they're going to have to play, you know, an open game. That said, they're also going to have to kick well, and uh, they're going to have to, you know, pin cast her back into their, into their half so who, who does that better I think Gopperth is a better tactical kicker uh, and I just think his, his game uh, in terms of, of, of running it he's, a, he's a, just a better strategist um, Madigan more instinctive uh, and in, in a game where sometimes you have to sort of stop and sort of say okay look this isn't working or we need to adjust this slightly I'm not sure if Madigan has the, the nous to actually stop or do it even on the hoof and sort of say, look, what we're doing isn't working, I need to change this or I need to adjust it quickly now. He always has, he'll get help from the guys outside him and know exactly what to do. Uh, <clears throat> if you're asking me who, who I'd pick for the cast game, I'd pick Coppers because I think just he's just just a little bit better, he's just a little bit cleverer in terms of how he structures the game from a, from a kicking perspective. And I think sort of, uh, you know, particularly, you know, uh, against cast who are who are back in this game, you're going to have to pin them back. And I think Gopper's the guy to do that. If you don't give Madigan his chance now, though, Shane, I'll put this to you. Why, um, when do you give him his chance? Sexton's gone now. There's that opening there. You talk about having to back players. You're clearly not really backing uh, Ian Madigan and his ability out half if you're dropping him here and there if you're picking for the bigger games if you're picking uh, Gopperth instead of him uh, it's, it's not really about giving him his chance he's had chances uh, over the last couple of years and it's now you know who's playing the best and who's going to um, allow Leinster to uh, beat Cast and that's that's the only really selection decision I don't think you look any further and go oh, this guy needs a run of games or that guy needs a run of games or he deserves his chance it's it, it's very much a, a picking on who who they think is going to perform best who's, who's in form at the moment and, and who can get them over the line I think it's very you know the, the decision is marginal I, and I don't actually know um, if picking one or the other would have a, a massive effect Effect on whether Leinster are going to win this game. I think there's areas of the field that are, are actually more important, and that's unusual to say that. Normally, everything is is based around the ten, but uh, I don't necessarily think that is the case. What 
what we have seen from Madigan, there's been a lot of talk about how he performed last year and, and you know, the tries that he scored, as, as Farnell said there. But he is, you know, he's still learning his trade as a sort of a winter 10. You know, he's a summer 10 who, who likes a fast track. Gofford is similar to that as well. Um, and they, you know, there was a lot of games where it was towards the end of the season, Leicester were dominating, and um, he was he was the sample. So the sample of games of matches that we've seen Madigan play in, you know, hasn't has been a little bit skewed. And it's these games that are more difficult for any ten and, and for any team. And and um, I think that what Madigan does have is, yeah, he has always he always has that excellent running game. He has that threat himself at ten. He probably doesn't have as much sympathy on his passing as, as he should have. I think that's an issue. So if things aren't going right and if his passing isn't 100% accurate, the way he throws them are so hard, they're sometimes hard to receive. Uh, Goffert does have a reasonable kicking game. I think both of them have reasonable kicking games. But the, the problem for both of them is when the Leinster pack isn't dominant, they do look a little distressed in their kicking and, and uh, their, their game awareness. When the game is going forward, both of them look to be able to run the game very well. Um, so unusually, I don't think this is a game where the 10 will, will have the biggest influence on the game. Well, I'm going to keep leading on about it anyway, uh, uh, Shane, because I want to ask about the situation in Munster. Do you think that's fairly marginal also, JJ Hanrahan and Ian Keatley up against each other for the 10 position? I don't think so. I, I think, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a fan of JJ Hanrahan's, I have to say. Um, I've been following his career uh, since he was um, playing in the, the under-20s um, World Cup a couple of years ago, where, for me, he was the standout player. Um, I think he was probably a little slow to come into the Munster team. I would have liked to have seen him get more game time uh, last year, but with, with Rods being there, Keatley probably uh, the man to take over the, the crown. Um, he didn't get the game time that uh, he should have. Um, I think he's done well this year. Yeah, he has made some mistakes, but he has the all the hallmarks and all the attributes that could make him a really top-class um, 10 not to say that it's only in the future he'd be top class ten. I think he's played games for Munster this year that um, have shown that he can. He's well capable of um, running a running the Munster show um, in Europe. And I, I think Penny wants to pick him. You know, I think I've said that before. I think you can really feel that he wants to pick him. He's put him in games and, and he's done well. And then he's, you know, Munster have just had a poor performance and he's gone back to Keithley again. And, and that's the conservatism that will, you know, will, will get you reasonably far in this competition, but it won't get you to the business end of it, I don't think. So um, where Munster are, where the backline are, I think that they need if they if they really want to to to, to go to try and win the competition, I think you got to you got to bet on on Hanrahan. Neil, do you share that view of JJ Hanrahan? Uh, probably at this stage, you can you can see that these things turn on you know on on seminal moments and in, in matches you know and, and players get confidence from having big performances. One of the things that and this is the problem with. With Munster, both of the guys that are fighting for the out-half position are roughly the same age. Uh, you know, the difference in Leinster is that you know Madigan's 24 and Goppert is about 30, and I think experience is, is kind of key. So the more mature player, uh, I think, certainly has an advantage. And if you look over the course of the years, just take for example, um, you know, the uh, Humphreys and O'Gara when they were fighting it out. When both those guys started, like Humphreys. You know, from from age kind of 21 to 23, 24, the amount of mistakes these guys, you know, make. So I, I thought, you know, sort of, and I, I, I played with them briefly. You know, Humphreys was a very immature player, and, 
you know, you look at, at Adam when he finished his career. I mean, he was supreme. He was uh, certainly the most articulate and intelligent uh, out half I'd seen in a long time. So, and again, the same with, with O'Gara. And when they started off, you know, you sort of say, Jesus, are these guys ever going to make it? You know, they have talent, but they're not the full, uh, you know, the, the full shilling in terms of, uh, you know, complete, uh, you know, capture of the game that they would that they'd want to play. So at this moment in time, the two months or out half are, are in that scenario. They're both very talented players, but they're nowhere near where they need to be in terms of being able to orchestrate a game and control a game and be a dominant uh, out half. Uh, and that's that's Penny's problem. So, you know, one minute one of the guys has a has a you know an average enough game, and you know then so they they go with uh, the, you know the the guy who's in sort of a backup. And I, I, I think it's a you know it's a problem, and it's, it is one that we just mentioned it earlier there about you know giving a guy a, you know a run of uh, of games to get him into a little bit of consistency. I, I feel sorry in, in a certain sense, and it goes down to to uh, you, you know sort of sort of parish sort of politics. You know, Munster, you know, I think are pretty hard on Keatley, so Keatley might have a pretty decent game. And he gets he gets judged differently because I think he's a Leinster player, whereas you know there is there is a little bit of favoritism for for Hanrahan, uh, and I think he will come through, uh, and I think he will be the dominant player. I think he's more talent, uh, and I think he's a better opportunity of becoming that dominant player. Okay, the other two games involving Irish teams: Ulster, Montpellier, and Connacht Zebra. So I'll ask you first of all, Neil: Is there a decent chance of an Irish clean sweep here, or if not, what game might trip them up? Uh, no, I mean uh, Montpellier have, have thrown their thrown their hat at us, so they're 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 bringing their espoir to uh, to Ravenhill, and I'd say Richard Cockle now is probably cursing them. Uh, you know they're they're out. They're probably uh, all ends up they're out of it, so they they do what the French do. And really, they should be penalised. There should be some kind of financial penalty for that because you know it's not fair on on Leicester. You know, and it's just the way a lot of the time the games fall. So. I thought Ulster's performance against Montpellier over there was a phenomenal performance. To to go and do what they did and win as well and play as well as they did against a Montpellier side that are, I mean, their their eight are just a pack of savages, just monsters. You know, this guy Gorgadze and and then you know so embellished in, in his personality. Uh, so Ulster did what they had to do over there and won really well. And you know, sort of Montpellier are gone and. You know they'll they'll throw over a you know a second side and I think Ulster will, will win and win well and uh, might even I don't know sort of it, depending on how disciplined and how structured they are they might even go and get uh, a bonus point which would help and um, I think I think Ulster will certainly win and Connacht against Zebra well if they don't win that game yeah you know, so for all the the, Len- the amount of the amount of headline time that Pat Lamb is uh, is is making without any results. You know, if they, if, there can be no excuses for losing in Zebra. So and Leinster Munster. Then uh, are you looking at victories for Leinster Munster? No, I I, I I I think Munster will certainly go on. They'll do what they have to do. Leinster really will have to outthink uh, Castra and put in a, a disciplined performance and be absolutely very precise uh, at scrum time and kick all their you know their penalties and and. You know, sort of when when Leinster are in a way mode, uh, you know they literally get you know three or four try scoring opportunities. They're going to have to take at least three of those. Cast can cast are a very decent footballing side. They play a great brand of rugby, 
and Leinster will have to defend. Uh, and so, you know, they're, at this moment in time, I think they're number one in the defensive stats, but they'll have to outperform in that area. They really have to, to, to be very uh, precise again at, uh, at defence time. Shane, very quick predictions. Um, I think uh, Ulster would be good enough to be the full strength uh, Montpellier side at home and uh, they're not going to be faced with that so I think it'll be Ulster um, Connacht would have to do a job uh, against the Italians um, I fancy Munster as well I don't think it'll be um, particularly easy actually I don't think that um, that the less steamroll Gloucester uh, Gloucester at home as well are a different matter I think they've won the last couple of games so um, I think that might be a reasonably t- tight uh, game uh, with maybe Munster coming out um, um, a score better and the, yeah, the really interesting game is the Castro-Leinster game and uh, it was really really important for Leinster to be able to compete at rook time um, uh, you mentioned um, Birch there on, on your, uh, the show on on Tuesday uh, Bernard Jackman and uh, he was talking about that um, the, the need for, for emotion in the French sides and, and how they build themselves up with emotion less so than, than um, tactics and I think uh, a Sunday morning start as it were at uh, I think it's a 1.45 kickoff on a Sunday mightn't allow them to be quite as emotionally charged as maybe a Friday night at 800 lights uh, would be and uh, I think for, for that reason along with the fact that uh, Leinster really need it I think um, that Leinster will just do enough in cast Shane Horgan Neil Francis brilliant thank you both thanks Shane, Shane, Shane with the kick out the 42 year old goalkeeper Curling it out from goal here he comes He's topped it, he's fought it, he's 50 yards out from goal. What a day for us coming. All the mother niggas lame and you know it now. When the real dude will hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam. 1944 is the last time I've seen your tiger come out of here. And the one, 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 one be the last one. Bam. What a day for us coming. Leave a pretty girl sad. Just go back on a point made by Shane here on about Lancers out halves mm-hmm. both really being summer tens rather than winter tens I understand the point they both like top of the ground stuff they're both very skillful they can both run the ball all those kind of things maybe that's the issue We all Jimmy Copper seems to have done very well so far but maybe what Lancer needed to go for was mm-hmm. just a more of an old school kicking out half to complement the skills you, of Ian Madigan I'm, yes Murph I'm thinking of yeah. a man we're both thinking of the same man yeah, here, Mick the boot queen yeah. that's can, a man I, I think can, would he still be able to do a job that's or who knows maybe he, maybe he could go you know? further afield Nas Botha Nas Das Boot Botha yeah uh, get the key basically is to have the, the, the boot nickname. as your nickname yeah as long as your nickname is the boot then you're probably going to do a pretty good job. You know, a, a win, you're, a winter, you're a winter out half. How many out halves around the uh, sort of amateur game in Ireland, even now, are called the boot? I would say quite a lot. Fullbacks sometimes. A fullback needs yeah. to launch a good 60 yard boot every now and again. Kicker. Kicker. A nickname. Hmm. No. No, I don't think so. I, no, it doesn't sound like anything that's taken, taken flame just yet. Stick to your football, Ken. What's coming up later? That's. Yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six and a half I'd say it to you, face, I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a new book uh, on the Anatomy of Liverpool, which is by Jonathan Wilson and Scott Murray. And... Um, it gives us a chance to discuss some of the uh, 
if she's at Manchester United. No, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Liverpool <laughs> that, fans were that, interested that, and they were like, come on. That doesn't sound right. No. Um, I, I see what you're getting at here, though. There was a, at least a part of this book is about a, a, a succession that took place, a very successful one. A successful Bill succession. Well, successful for the club, not so successful for Bill Shankly. Hey, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few Bill Shankleys. <laughs> <laughs> That's the old thing, goes. But anyway, it's a history. It's in ten matches. Uh, this is the structure of the book. So we're taking ten key games over the Scouse years. Scouse wit from Ken there. Yeah, ten ten key matches within which, uh, uh, well, if you imagine a join the dots puzzle, if you get those ten matches, put them in a piece of paper, draw lines between them, the picture emerges of the liver bird itself. <laughs> That's good. Crudely drawn, <laughs> with, with only ten uh, corners, but you know, it's, I suppose it's, a lot of it is up to the reader as well to try and uh, impose order and chaos. We'll get that out for you a little bit later on. Time now for US Murph. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Capitino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, Gordon! Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Well, I must apologize in advance if Brian isn't as ebullient as usual, but he is in playoff mode at the moment, and he has his game face on this week. Brian, how are you? <laughs> Ah, au contraire, amigos. I am uh, as ebullient as ever. Like the great Jim Harbaugh, if you saw, uh, hopefully you guys saw on the interwebs, uh, the great footage of his just absolutely manic jumping up and down in the 49er locker room after they won at Lambeau. It was really funny. We've been using it on KMBR in San Francisco as the promos when he's screaming, this team generates some toughness and I love it! And then, <laughs> and then, and then asks for the high fives. His new thing now is to bring back the high five. Very 1980s. Yeah. You know, the last time he offered just a true high five to a buddy of yours is probably 1989, you know. So uh, another of Harbaugh's uh, idiosyncrasies that are both... Um, you know, a little bit crazy and a little bit charismatic and certainly effective. So I'm feeling great. Happy New Year, boys. Great to be on with you. Happy New Year to you, Brian. So let's just lay out the situation here. The game this weekend coming up it's Sunday, the 49ers play the Panthers in the playoffs after a nail-biting victory. This is what we're alluding to last weekend in Green Bay. Yeah, well, I mean, so here we go. The third straight year that Jim Harbaugh's 49ers are in the playoffs, you know, I don't know how much we've really talked about Harbaugh himself. We have. We've talked about his prickly media personality. I think we've detected in the last several weeks he's tr- he's tried to, I don't know if it's a calculated move, but he's trying to give a little bit more. Now, he still is, you know, views the media as a mortal enemy and uh, an absolute nuisance and all that, but he seems to be given just a little bit more um, these days. So, But he, it, it, there's no arguing his effectiveness as a coach. I don't know how much we talked about what he did at Stanford University, which is one of the most prestigious academic universities in the country, when he took over their football team, which was in just sad sack state, one of the worst college football teams in America, and he turned them into one of the best teams in America. It really, to me, is one of the most remarkable coaching jobs I've ever seen in any sport, what he did at Stanford, and now what he's done with the 49ers. He jumps here, and this is the third straight year he's won now 13 games which is a lot of games in the NFL 
when you include the playoffs. In fact, he becomes the first coach ever to win 13 games, including the playoffs, in his first three years in the NFL. So he's doing historic stuff. And for the 49ers to go on the road, guys, and win at Green Bay, I know the Packers were a lesser team than the 49ers. The 49ers have a better team all the way. But this is a team that does not have a great history of road playoff wins. In fact, that's become a, that's a real demon for this team. They've, in their history, in their glorious history, and I always talk about Joe Montana and the glory days, almost all of that work was done at home. Uh, they have very rarely gone on the road and won playoff games for whatever reason, circumstance or weather or you know opponent. Joe Montana had a couple of brutal playoff losses against the New York Giants and the Washington Redskins. But Colin Kaepernick has now gone two years in a row on the road last year in Atlanta down 17 points in the first half after an awful start and won the NFC Championship to get to the Super Bowl. And now he's gone to Lambeau Field where famously it was five degrees at kickoff with a wind chill of 10 below the coldest game in 49er franchise history. He wore no sleeves famously now and, uh, of course, delivered all those big plays. Uh, He wasn't perfect during the game. But he delivered big play after big play, the Colin Kaepernick that we all fell in love with last uh, year. And on to Charlotte, where they take on the mighty Carolina Panthers defense on Sunday. A one win away from a possible showdown with the Seattle Seahawks, which would be just the ultimate. I mean, really, guys, I think everything in everybody's gut feels like that has to be the matchup. These two teams that have hated each other these two fan bases that have hated each other, these two coaches that have hated each other, this whole new rivalry between the 49ers and the Seahawks certainly seems to be what we're destined to, but they've got to get past Carolina first Sunday morning. Brian, we've glossed over, they're always glossed over the kickers in the NFL, but Phil Dawson, the guy got it done in the last few seconds for for San Francisco last weekend. I was watching this game and it was really interesting. Just when he was about to, when he was practicing his kick into those little nets on the sideline, the Fox uh, Sports sideline reporter said that she had interviewed him before the game and she'd asked him, what Phil Dawson's name, what was his maximum distance? What would he back himself at in those conditions? And he said to her, I won't, wouldn't back myself at any distance in these conditions and you can quote me on that. So it's just, there was a nice piece of information as you're watching him about to get ready to kick this massive, massive kick. He got it over, it was a little bit wobbly, but uh, he got the job done. No, you're right. And kickers are, are, are rare breed. They're kind of aliens on the planet of the NFL. They sort of, they almost are treated differently by their teammates. I wouldn't say ostracized, but they're just not the same. They don't, they don't line up and hit like they do on every other part of the football team. You know, there's 53 guys on a football team. There's one punter, one kicker, and that's it. Those two guys stand alone. And even at practices, guys, so in all those years I covered the 49ers as a writer, you go to practice every day, and even the kickers and the punters, they stand off on a different field, and they kick kind of just over and over again, kind of mind-nubbingly repetitive kicking they do over and over again just to make it so ingrained in their muscle memory that they can do things like Phil Dawson did under that pressure. And, and so they're, they're not really a part of the fabric of the team. So it, it's unusual. You don't know how these guys are going to handle pressure. A lot of them don't. There's some famous misses in the history of the NFL. All you have to say to anybody from Buffalo is the name Scott Norwood. He's the man who missed the field goal that would have won the Super Bowl. Uh, I think roundly saluted in the movie Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, if any of you saw that, mm. uh, laces out the famous slogan of <laughs> yeah. the uh, – right. So, I mean, kickers can, can occupy infamy or, as you point out, Owen, they can be heroes and ask Tom Brady how he feels about his kicker, Adam Vinatieri, who without Adam Vinatieri, the kicker for the Patriots during their glory years – 
Quite honestly, Tom Brady might not be Tom Brady because Vinatieri made the game-winning kick in all of Brady's Super Bowl wins, and they were clutch kicks, and they were difficult kicks. He also made a kick famously against the Raiders in the snow in the famous tuck game. That was probably the greatest kick I've ever seen because I think it was 40 yards plus in a driving, howling snowstorm to beat the Raiders and lift the Brady legend. So, yeah, these kickers are are interesting cats. They're different Mm. dudes. uh, You don't know what they're made of, but here's the thing on Phil Dawson and how we feel so good about this guy going forward. He's always been one of the best in the business. It just so happened that he kicked for the Cleveland Browns for 14 years and the Cleveland Browns are one of the worst sad sack franchises in all of the NFL. He only kicked in one playoff game his entire career in Cleveland. So finally, he has a chance, Phil Dawson does. The Browns moved on because Dawson's 38 years old. They went with a younger guy. But the 49ers see a guy like Phil Dawson and be like, are you kidding? We need a veteran guy who's been there and done that. Now, he hasn't been there, done that in January, but he's kicked so many times in the NFL. You've got to trust a guy like that. And he has had a spectacular year with a number of big kicks, but in that particular uh, situation, as you alluded to, with that weather, we talked to a a guy, Brian Jennings, who used to be the long snapper for the 49ers. He said, the ball changes entirely. When you kick normally, there's a texture to the ball, and there's a a texture to your kick. There's a sort of a pebbly, leathery texture to the ball, but in those conditions, the ball changes into like a brick, like a slick brick. It's heavier, and it doesn't have that same give when you kick it. So all of a sudden, Sort of all bets are off. You know, you don't know. I mean, I have to say, it was a 33-yarder, and I felt pretty good that Phil Dawson could make it. But you had no idea. The snap had to be good. That was a rookie snapper. The hold had to be good. Laces out, laces out. And then the kick by Phil Dawson. So his legend grows, and yeah, I mean, the 49ers feel real good about having him in potentially close situations going forward in the next week, too. Uh, so we've spoken about Jim Harbaugh, we've spoken about Colin Kaepernick, uh, Phil Dawson, but the real star of the show for me, Brian, was one of the true icons of world sport, a man of charisma and stature, respected across the globe. Mm-hmm. I speak, of course, of wrestling's Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So you want to talk about, can a 64-year-old ex-pro wrestler who hasn't been on the radar screen in years have a better career comeback than Nature Boy Ric Flair. Uh, for all the listeners out there who know Ric Flair, they're laughing and nodding their heads about this guy's act. He was, you know, one of the great wrestling stars of the 80s and 90s, and he was famous for being a limousine-riding, jet-flying, kiss-stealing superstar. And so he was, of course, uh, one of these guys with the great fake tan and the blonde hair, the platinum blonde hair, who, guys, he was famous for actually living the part off-screen, too, you know, we were talking off air about Peter O'Toole and Richard Harris and Oliver Reed, those great that great mm. drinking generation. Rest his soul, Peter O'Toole. He will be missed. But uh, the, you know, those guys kind of lived the part off stage too. They were kind of those great drinkers of those of that era. Well, Ric Flair was one of those big. He lived the part. He used to wear the mink coats and travel around on jets and fly around with pretty girls all the time. So he's a real character. But it turned out that the 49ers, one of their star defensive players, this, this, this kind of silent stud named Justin Smith, they call him Cowboy. He's one of the best players on the team. He wears number 94, but he doesn't do much media. He doesn't do much talking. He grew up on a farm in Missouri. The stories of him, feats of strength he did as a boy, you know, working on the farm. He's almost like something out of a, out of a 
1940 novel or something. He's a huge wrestling fan, and he said to Jim Harbaugh, I think it would be fun if we had Ric Flair. And Harbaugh said, I know Ric Flair. Harbaugh, yet another dimension of his interesting personality is that when he was in Chicago as a Bears quarterback in the 80s, when Flair was in his heyday, Harbaugh used to go to Flair's matches, and they befriended each other. So uh, Justin Smith calls the wrestling WWE, asks if Ric Flair would come talk to the team. And Flair, of course, he's got nothing going on, and apparently he's on some dire financial straits, so a payday sounds pretty good to him, right? So they fly him up there, and he walks in. And, of course, now, guys, everything's filmed, right? Everything's filmed. You used to have pregame speeches, and nobody knew about it. Now this guy got filmed by, uh, I think it was the 49ers team website. So it's available. You can just Google Ric Flair 49ers on YouTube or the 49ers website, and you can see the whole thing. It's funny. He doesn't really give, like, a Newt Rockney speech. All he does is keep saying how honored he is to be in front of the team. And then at the end, he does a little funny thing about, I want you guys to be limousine-riding, jet-flying, kiss-stealing, you know, thing. But the controversy, guys, is that he's from Charlotte, North Carolina, the home of the Carolina Panthers. And he actually kind of joked. He goes, you know, if you guys have to play Carolina, I'm going to get in trouble because he used to be a big <laughs> Panthers season ticket holder. Well, guess what? They're playing Carolina, and Ric Flair's in trouble. We had uh, several guests from Charlotte on our show this week, and they're saying Ric Flair is dead to us. He's a Benedict <laughs> Arnold. He's a traitor, a, and it's no more. It's over between Ric Flair and his hometown of Charlotte. So uh, that's kind of been a fun subplot to this whole week. Yeah, I don't know who the Carolina Panthers could possibly, what sort of San Francisco personality could they drag in for a bit of revenge to get a... I can't. I'll, Owen, I don't even know if you know. You're, you're, you set it up on a tee because they're, they say their number one celebrity fan is our star basketball player, Stephen Curry, right. who is the Warriors' star shooting guard who's come on as one of the big stars in the NBA this year. He's one of the best. Sh- people are calling him maybe the best shooter the NBA has ever seen. He grew up in Charlotte as a huge Panthers fan, and when the 49ers played the Panthers earlier this year, he was on the sideline in Panther gear, and he's really close with Cam Newton, the Panthers' superstar quarterback, and so he has said, I'm going with my home team. So they said, we'll give you Ric Flair. We're taking Steph Curry. So it's a big war right now between celebrity fans. You mentioned Cam Newton, Brian. He is the star quarterback for the Panthers now. He is relatively inexperienced when he's certainly in playoffs. This is his first year in the business end of the season. Do you think he's ready for a game of this magnitude? It's a great question, and that's been one of the questions we've been talking about all week, and that is he, he's just, you know, Cam Newton is a star. There's no, you know, what he did in college speaks for itself. A Heisman Trophy and a national championship in the same year seemed like a mind-blowing thing to do, oh, until this freshman named Jameis Winston just did it for Florida State last uh, Monday night. But uh, Cam, of course, with the – he's a guy, when he came out of college uh, at Auburn University, Jim Harbaugh said of him in the draft, he said, there's, there's – there's raw skills and then there's raw grade plutonium material and that's what Cam Newton is he said 6 foot 6 runs like the wind incredible arm great you know leadership gene has this great charisma but when he went and showed up his first year, he, and he dazzled everybody with his skills, he did not dazzle people with his maturity. He uh, was perceived as a me-first guy. Uh, he said a lot of wrong things to the media about, I'm about this, I'm about that. And the NFL veterans were like, dude, this is a tough league that will eat you up. You better be a team guy. You better talk to your team, not the media. So he had actually kind of, even though he had a lot of success his rookie year, he had a lot of negative energy, and that translated into a bad sophomore season. His second year was not good, guys. Carolina was a losing team. 
they uh, and and his stock dropped. Well, this is the year now where Cam Newton's kind of come out as Cam Newton 2.0. He's much more mature publicly. He's all about the team. He has not had any tantrums. He's kind of delivering on that promise. They go uh, 12 and four. What 12 and four? I think was their record, or 11 and five? I'm not sure. I think 12 and four. But they wound up being the number two seed in the NFC. That's big-time stuff. He got a bye. He's at home. There's a lot going on for Cam Newton. And the thing he can do that Colin Kaepernick can do, they're very similar, is that they may be sometimes technically unsound. They might throw the ball erratically or miss a guy because they're not as polished as a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning or a Drew Brees. But what they can do is when things break down and they just take off running or take off running and throwing – they can make an athletic play that just dazzles you, and that's what Cam Newton can do. And that's what I think, quite frankly, is going to have to happen because I think this matchup favors the 49ers in a number of ways, and I think that it, Cam's going to have to do something dazzling, whether it's tucking it and running it or breaking out of the pocket and finding a guy downfield, and that's what he can do because of his what Harbaugh called those raw-grade plutonium skills. Mm. All right, Brian, we'll look at the fixtures. Then we've got the game we've been talking about, 49ers at Panthers. The Chargers play the Broncos. The Saints are at the Seahawks. And the Indianapolis Colts at the New England Patriots. Those The Saturday games are Saints-Seahawks, Colts-Patriots. What are your predictions there? Well, that Saints-Seahawks game is a huge game for the 49er fans because, obviously, if Seattle wins, that means the road goes through Seattle, and that has been a huge issue. The 49ers have been blown out in Seattle the last two times, and there's been this huge fan-base rivalry now where Seattle fans have sort of said to 49er fans, you guys are yesterday's news, we're the new team, you can't beat us, we own you. And 49er fans are mortally offended. They say, who are you? You've never won a Super Bowl. So this huge rivalry now between the fan bases and the teams. And the fact is the 49ers have a difficult time playing there. So if Seattle wins and holds serve and the 49ers win, that would be an epic showdown up there. I just think Seattle's going to do it. I do think Seattle at home is the best team in the NFC, maybe until they play the 49ers. But they are better than the Saints outdoors. The Saints impressively won their first ever outdoor playoff game in the 46-year history of their franchise last Saturday in Philadelphia. But that's not a very good Philadelphia team they beat, and they barely beat them. I just don't see the Saints beating the Seahawks in Seattle. We'll rattle through the rest of them then. Colts, Patriots, 49ers, Panthers, Chargers, Broncos. Give us three winners. I just give you the Patriots because the Colts defense is awful. I love Andrew Luck, and his comeback last week was legendary and epic, but I just think that the, the Colts defense is awful, so the Patriots win that game. I think the 49ers will win because, A, I'm a total homer, and, B, Michael Crabtree and Vernon Davis, the Niners' two best receivers, didn't play in the first Carolina game, and it was a 10-9 to game. So I think Crabtree and Vernon Davis make the difference, and the 49ers win. And then I think the Chargers are, have sort of run their, run their rabbit's foot out. I know they beat Denver in Denver this year, but Peyton Manning, he may not go all the way this year, but he'll certainly win his first home game at Denver. So I'll take the Broncos in the uh, finale. Brian, we will hold you to those predictions and talk to you next week. Thank you. <laughs> four for four, guys. I'm going four <laughs> for four. All right. I know what you're thinking here, guys. I do know what you're thinking. A man with a love of 1980s wrestling, such as myself, should have explored the Ric Flair angle. I was expecting... with Brian Murphy. I asked the question and then immediately thought... Oh my God, McDevitt's going to talk for 25 minutes about his favourite wrestlers now. Well, I'll tell you the issue, it's a little bit political, it's the only problem. Okay. See, the nature boy himself was, he was primarily a WCW man. Mm. Oh, and your loyalty to WWF, then WWE, runs deep. Yeah, absolutely. And he did appear in WWF, sure, but he never really made the same kind of impact. A a big fish, yes, yes, he was a big fish, Mm. undoubtedly, but it was a big pond, Mm. that WWF pond. 
uh, peopled by the likes of The Ultimate Warrior. Of course. Big Boss Man Ken. Mm-hmm. Jake the Snake Roberts, Ravishing Rick Rude. How is Ric Flair to make an impact in yeah. amongst all those giants? What's of his the sport? USP, you know? I mean, if we're talking USP, Papa Shango, now there's a USP, you know? Sure, he didn't actually wrestle. <laughs> just a voodoo He man. cast a voodoo spell on his opponents. That's show business. Yeah, I just think that sometimes particular kinds of fish are best suited to particular kinds of ponds. Yeah. In what sense? Well, you see that in some types of fish, they don't even have eyes, you know? Because the, the, they live in um, underground uh, ponds, as it were. And not a lot that wouldn't of ponds be much are used over to. ground. It wouldn't be well. I mean, under the ground. I mean, with ground over the top of them, so there's no light. Oh. So they might have big whiskers, but no, you know, I mean, eyes that don't see. That's not much used to. You. No. Else. Now it doesn't matter. You know, you can you can uh, preen and strut all you like about being That's the greatest fish in that pond. Yeah. But if you then move to a different pond where you which you're not suited to, you're not going to last long. Or just before we wrap up, I would like to point you in the direction of the Thomas Hitzelsberger interview with Raphael Honigstein. I probably should phrase that the other way around. Brilliant piece um, by Raphael Honigstein. Uh, you can get on the Irish Times website, irishtimes.com. Uh, one of the sort of standout quotes, I think, from the, the player, well, the now former player, I sincerely hope that we'll see uh, when nobody mentions courage in these circumstances anymore because it'll be seen as totally normal that a sports person will speak about his homosexuality the way others talk about their wives and girlfriends. There are a lot of interesting insights along those lines. So well worth uh, a read. And there's also a video up there which you can have a look at as well. Murph, before we go, big sporting weekend coming up. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think you're going to have to make a lot of decisions this weekend. Uh, because there's an awful lot of sport on. There, there's the NFL playoffs. There's four Premier League games, uh, three Premier League games on between Saturday and Sunday, uh, and of course there's a full round of Heineken Cup matches. So I have devised a scheme whereby the buy-in that you give, I have a package for you. So there's the gold package, or there's the silver package, the gold package, and the platinum package right. for all of your sporting needs. I'll take the platinum. Okay, well, we'll go with the silver to start uh, for people who really aren't that committed to the whole thing. Uh, there's many other Swansea or Gloucester Munster at 5.30 or 6pm on Saturday. And on Sunday, you can watch Leinster cast at 12.45. And then there's the 49ers Panthers in the NFL playoffs at 6pm. So there's still plenty of time for family, you know. Sounds you like a, maybe, maybe a, ma- a married man or a married woman with children would probably... Of course. You know, if, if you want to just flit in and out of the sporting weekend then I might recommend mm-hmm. to you the silver package. The gold package is next for those of you who believe in sport as a concept, if not as an entire life philosophy, if you will. There's, so there's many other Swansea, uh, Munster, uh, Munster game on Saturday evening, followed by that uh, Saints and Seahawks game that we were talking about briefly with US Mars there, followed by the Leinster Cavs game at 12.45 on Sunday, Stoke Liverpool's at 4pm, and then there's the 49ers Panthers at 6 p.m. I mean, I think that's a lot of buy-in. Yeah, quite frankly. Yeah, I you know, mean, I mean, if it, that's that a lot like, of sport. That sounds like the top available package. Ah, well, that's where you're wrong, Ken. Because uh, may I unveil to you now the platinum package for this weekend of sporting action? Friday evening, Ulster Montpellier, 8 p.m. as a sort of a, a sorbet yeah. to cleanse your palate uh, <laughs> before the bush. serious. Yeah, before the serious business begins on Saturday with breakfast, a run, and a rigorous course of calisthenics from 10:30 a.m. But be back, in, be back on the couch at midday for about 20 minutes worth of football focus. Chelsea v Hull on BT Sport at 12.30am. Uh, you can watch a half of that. Then switch over to Harlequins, Claremont Auvergne uh, in the Heineken Cup at 1.30. Tottenham versus Crystal Palace on Santa Sports at 3pm. Connacht v Zebra at 3.40pm. You can 
She's squeezing a lot in here. Yeah, but people have internet and there, so forth. Uh, so there, can... there might be a 10 or 12 minute window to eat or talk to people if that's your bag at around the 5.20pm mark. But then there's many other Swansea at 5.30. Gloucester Munster at 6pm. Uh, you can put on your pants if you like for dinner at 8.30pm. 9.30pm is Saints at the Seahawks. And then at 1.15am it's the New England Patriots <laughs> against the Indianapolis Colts which should take you up to around the 4am mark. You can then go to bed if you like. Uh, Castle v Leinster 12.45 Newcastle Man City at 2pm Stoke v Liverpool at 4pm 6pm is the 49ers Panthers and you round off the weekend at 9.30am with the San Diego Chargers against the Denver Broncos 9.30am PM excuse me that'll run that'll finish up at around half 12 something like that so there's just a 12 hours on Sunday of sport watching but if you follow the platinum package that's uh about 16 hours worth. What am I supposed so to do? So in total, that's 26 hours. 26 hours of sport watching over the, the course of I'm the not day. happy with that gap between 4am and 12. midday on Sunday. I, yeah. I guess the sports pages have to be read. You could stick in a 30 for 30 documentary. Yeah. There's a lot. There's, there's yeah, sleep so much as well. I mean, there is mm. sleep. I mean, I, I, it's not something that I'd recommend. But Earth? I mean, you could if you want. I'm weird enough to take that premium package. Yeah, the platinum the platinum package sounds platinum, good to me. It, it, it sounds like it seems like it's the right fit for my lifestyle. Enjoy this morning weekend. Follow us on Twitter at Second Captains, Facebook.com forward slash Second Captains. Get some P Bezos in there. I'm sure you'd uh, like to get going next yeah. week with a you email, first P Bezos of the year. Yeah, email secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. We'll talk to you. Thanks very much, uh, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks again. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. We'll talk Thanks, to you Ken. later on for Second Captains Football. Thanks for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.